You are listening to a recent sermon from a Covenant Church worship experience. For more information, you can find us online at covenantchurch.us. God is light, and we are told in Scripture that we can actually know Him. This message is from part one of our series, The Unknowable God, where we are learning that God wants us to know Him and to be in fellowship with Him. And now, here is our lead pastor, Pastor Travis Davenport. Some things in our universe are just too big to understand. Would you agree with me on that? Uh, the other night we were outside and uh, just looking up at the stars. It was a clear night and a lot of times there's clouds in the sky. But on this night it was so clear that it just seemed like you could see forever. And there were just so many stars and it was so bright. And in that moment it just felt so like small. Have you been there before? Show of hands. You've been there before? Yeah. Uh, there are things in our universe that are just so big and so hard for us to understand, so large for us to wrap our minds around. Sure, we, we can get the concept of the size of a thing, but the reality of it, that, that's a whole nother story. Take, for example, a neutron star. How many of us have heard of a neutron star before? Any of us? Yeah. What's crazy about a neutron star is that it's actually born out of the inside of another star, during what's called a, a supernova explosion. Sounds pretty awesome, right? I mean, let's be honest, a supernova explosion. So what happens is this large star collapses in on itself. And when that happens, the electrons and the proton pairs are squashed together. They're, 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 they're put together um, into neutrons. And here's what's cool about this. This, this neutron star, this this, uh, this crazy small thing, it's not that big. It's only about, about 13 miles across in diameter. But get this, this is what's nuts. If you were to go to a neutron star and take a thimble with you, we know what a thimble is, right? We all have grandmas. Um, if you were to take that thimble and, and dip a little bit of it into that, that, um, that neutron star and come home and weigh it, that little thimble full of that neutron star would weigh over 100 million pounds. Crazy, right? That's more than the largest mountain on earth, 100 million pounds. So, so it's kind of like we get the concept of that because we know how big a thimble is, but the reality of that is shocking and unbelievable um, to a point, right? Or what about our own sun? Sun is pretty cool. Um, until it burns you, which if you're a ginger is a daily occurrence. The sun is pretty awesome. Um, it's really interesting. At, at the core of the sun, uh, the core of the sun can get over, let's see, 27 million degrees. That's hot. 27 million degrees. Scientists tell you that if it weren't for the intense gravitational pull, the magnetic field around the sun, it would be constantly having the equivalent of atomic bombs exploding on its surface every second of every day. But because of its electronic field, its, uh, its pull, its gravitational pull rather, um, it, it just kind of releases them on the inside. It's so crazy. And this, this star, which it is, you may not have known that, you're like, I want to go to the planet Sun. It's a star. Um, it, it's actually a smaller star in our universe but even with that said, you could fit a million Earths inside of the size of our own sun. Now, we may get that concept, but the reality of it is hard to wrap our minds 
around. Are you with me on that? Yes. There's a lot of stuff like that. Um, and, and even when we break down things in our universe in a way that we can visually gauge, it's stuff that is still difficult to understand. But even things that aren't as easy to quantify are still just as perplexing. Think about this question. What is light? You know, we talked about these massive things, but, but here's a simple question, something that we see every day. Or if, if you know, we live here in Ohio in the winter, so um, every couple days we see it, right? What is, what is light? Modern science has a hard time defining what light is and how to categorize it. Uh, some scientists will tell you that light is energy. Others will tell you that light is matter. The source of a light is, is, is one thing. It's, it's one thing to understand that when you turn on a light in a dark room, that it chases out the darkness from the corner. But can we really even say that? H how does that happen? And can we really say that when after you turn the light off, the, the darkness returns? What is it that went there in the corner and chased the light away? It's just really kind of confusing. It gets back to this question like, what is light? As we read the book of First John, John gives us, a very specific view of God. In fact, John says this. He says, God is light. Turn to your neighbor and say, God is light. Yeah, seemingly a thing too big to wrap our very own minds around. Seemingly a massive concept for us to know or quantify. Listen to 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. We're going to be there um, in the book of John this month and next month as well. And it's exciting. So follow along on, in, in the scripture on the screen. You can open up your Bibles and follow along as well. Starting in verse 1 of chapter 1, it says this, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, say heard, which we have seen, say seen, which we have looked upon and touched, say touched, with our hands, concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify to it. And proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we're writing these things so that our joy may be made complete. This is the message we have all heard from him and proclaimed to you. And here it is, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. John, the author of the book of John, see how that works? Um, John, this author, he was writing to a church in a day and age when the, when the literal humanity of Jesus Christ was up for some debate, for some. There were some people that didn't believe literally in Jesus Christ. These, these some, quote some, were called the Gnostics. And the Gnostics believed in the deity of Jesus, um, but they denied the humanity of Jesus. And, and basically, they, they viewed matter and all things physical like that as evil. Okay, And so they, they believe that you have to consecrate yourself and get to a more spiritual place because spirituality is pure and spiritualization is, is a good thing. So the more spiritual you are, the better of a human being you are, the, the more physical you are, the more sinful and, and depraved. So they would have a hard time believing this huge, massive concept that a full spiritual being, God himself, you understand, right, would take on physical form. 
they would have seen that as impossible. They would have said, like, well, that's impossible because how could something totally pure, how could something perfectly holy and good become matter, become physical, become flesh and blood? They felt that the incarnation of Jesus, if you don't know that word, incarnation literally means the putting on of flesh and blood and bone, the act of God becoming man, as it were, Jesus, they believed it to be too big of a concept, too big of a thing to actually be true. Now, here's what's interesting. They, they believed in the validity of Jesus' teachings. They believed that what Jesus had to say was, was valid. They even called themselves Christians. And for the most part, they, they followed the same Christian traditions and the same Christian rulings and, and customs that other church-going Christians would follow. And yet at the end of the day, as we'll see in the fullness of this book, they didn't know Jesus. As we'll see in the fullness of this book, they, they did not know God. But here's why I have crazy respect for John. Because John doesn't hold back. Like, right out of the gate, listen to his words. He swings for the teeth. Listen to this. He just comes out and says this. That which was from the beginning, he's speaking of Jesus here. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, seen, looked upon, and touched. For a Gnostic, that's like getting smacked in the face. He's saying this Jesus is more than just principles. He's a person. This Jesus is, is somebody that I know. I've, I've seen him. I've, I've talked with him. I've, I've looked at him. I've eaten with him. I've walked with him. I slept beside him. I've watched him raise people literally from the dead. John was taking a direct shot at the Gnostics here who, who wanted to over-spiritualize Jesus. You ever run into a spiritual person? You ever run into somebody who's just, they're so spiritual, it's just dripping from them. You know what I'm talking about? They just kind of like waft from one place to the next in their, their spirituality. You know what I'm talking about? And, and, and so they, these people wanted to over-spiritualize Jesus. And you might say, well, that doesn't sound like a bad thing. I mean, everything's spiritual. That's a good thing. No, no, no. As I mentioned before, they, they wanted Jesus to be a set of principles to live by rather than a person to know. Do you understand that? They wanted Jesus to be a set of principles to live by instead of a person to know. And what John is saying from the gate is like, no, Jesus was not principles. Jesus was a person, and I know him. Do you know how frustrating this must have been for John? Having a conversation that somebody was literally a person just as a weird, like a weird, like conversation. Uh, let's let's put it into our everyday terminology. Sam, I'm standing there having a conversation with you about my wife. Okay, so Sam, Sam, I'm telling you about what she does and you know who she is. And somebody comes up and and, and uh, you know kind of butts in on our conversation and says, "Excuse me, excuse me." I say, "Yes." Can I say? Can I say something? Yeah. Well, you interrupted me, so go ahead. Okay, whatever. And they say, "I was just listening to what you were talking about, wife." And I wanted to let you know, I feel like there's much I could learn from wife. Okay, what are you, what are you talking about? Well, you know, when you, when you spoke about the, 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 the metaphorical washing and cleaning of children, I just, I want to take in and, and glean that wisdom and apply the, uh, the wisdom of wife. First off, I would say, well, guess what? You're never meeting my wife because you are straight up weird, okay? <laughs> Second off, what I would tell you is it's not wife it's my wife, and my wife is a person, and my wife is a person who has a name. Her name is Vanessa, and I happen to think she's really pretty. And, and that's 
what John is getting at here, not that my wife is pretty, but that Jesus was real. That Jesus was a literal person. That Jesus had flesh and blood. He says, I've seen him. I've touched him. I know him. Now get this. There is an incredible amount of danger in only living by the principles that Jesus taught while not believing in the literal person of Jesus. You got to get this. This is, this is new preaching, okay? Not new preaching, but maybe more strategic preaching in our day and time and age. We love to talk about the principles of Jesus, but not so much the person of Jesus. We love to talk about how we should love uh, everybody, but we don't really like to really, you know, like understand the context in which Jesus uses those words. Because while there is power in knowing the this is good, don't, don't miss this. If you're taking notes, please write this down. While there is power in knowing the principles, there is perfection in knowing the person. While there is power in knowing the principles, there is only perfection in knowing the person. Understand, the only way to be made perfect, the only way to be made new, the only way to be saved is through the literal belief of the man, the incarnate Son of God, Jesus Christ. Not his principles, not his teachings, the literal man, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Christ. And when we separate the principles from the person, we can begin to make liberties, uh, take liberties that the person who made the principles would never embody. You ever understand that? You ever see that before? When we separate the principles from the person, the teachings of Jesus from Jesus Christ himself, what, what happens is we can kind of house ourselves over here, land the cut and make some, uh, you know, make some make some ideas and put these kind of teachings on our side without thinking about Jesus Christ who would never embody what we're applying his principles to. Uh, maybe we've heard this all the time, right? People who say things like, well, I'm just quoting Jesus. I'm just quoting Jesus. Things like this. Jesus said to love your neighbor as yourself. So, so don't tell me I'm wrong. You separate the principle from the person. Jesus, Jesus said not to judge others. So you need to be tolerant of me and my lifestyle. Jesus said he wants me blessed, so that means I should be happy all the time. What you're hearing is a person who has bought into the principles and maybe even the teachings, but not the person of Jesus Christ. So relevant for our day, so relevant for our time. And you say, you know, well, I think that I could live by the teachings of Jesus. Well, of course you could. Of course you should, but you need to know the person of Jesus. See, what happens over time is, is that we begin to form a worldview and a church founded on the principles of Jesus, but not on the person of Jesus. This is why the book of Revelation talks about the, it says, in the end days, the last days, there'll be churches that gather together. They'll sing and worship, but the presence of God will not be there. How is that possible? How could it be that a group of people get together, talk about the name of Jesus, the principles of Jesus, but don't know the man of Jesus? It's because for so long they've separated out the principles from the literal person. And they're separated from Jesus in the moment, and they will be separated from Jesus in 
eternity. It's the principles and the person. Would you say that with me? It's the principles and the person. This is so important. You just got to get this in you. It's the principles and the person. Look at your neighbor. Kind of just put your hand on their shoulder and just reaffirm. Say, it's the principles and the person. It's the principle and the person. Yeah, that's right. There you go. That's right. And can I say this too? Like you could be a moral person with the principles of Jesus, but not be a saved individual. Morality and salvation are two separate things. We understand that, right? It's not about what you do, and it's not about how good you do the things you do. You could give any amount of money. Go ahead. You could go on a million missions trips. Go for it. You could volunteer all day long. Listen, those aren't bad things. Those are great things. They're just meaningless things if you've never been in a relationship with Jesus. They don't mean anything. And on the day that you stand before, in comparison to knowing Jesus, on the day that you stand before Jesus in eternity, and you're going to say, like, well, here's my, here's my grade sheet. I logged 125,000 hours of volunteer service. I, I gave this much money. I bought this many cars for my pastor. I'm just throwing that in there. I, you know, whatever. I'm just, you know. Um, Jesus is going to look at you and say, like, man, that's, let's, let's talk about that. Like, I don't know. I'm sorry. Do we know each other? Can you imagine that? The scripture talks about this. It says, many will stand before me and say, Lord, Lord, I, I prayed and I prayed in your name. I cast out demons in your name. I did this. I did this. And Jesus says, I don't know you. Uh, like, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. You're a lawless man. And it says, you cast him into darkness. How is that possible? It's because somehow we have separated the principles from the person of Jesus. It's the principles and the person. It's the principles and the person. Now, listen. John takes it a step further. Look at verse 3. Indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And we're writing all these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from, from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light. Say, God is light. That's right. And in him is no darkness at all. John calls God the light. Now, getting back to the massiveness of things for a moment, if we could just kind of jump back there. Um, let me ask you a question. How can one know the light? Can we know light? How are we to go about knowing light? Is light something that can be known? I mean, it's one thing to experience light. It's one thing to see the effects of light on, on an object or on something. But it's a completely different thing to know the light. It's a completely different thing to know God. We can, we can experience God. Someone without Jesus Christ can show up to a church and experience God. Somebody without Jesus could open up the Bible and say, there's something different here. There's something unique about this and experience God. There's somebody who could step back and say, I can see the effects of God changing people. But that does not mean that they know God. You understand that? Just because you can see the effect of the light doesn't mean that you know the light. So back to the question, how are we to know the light. John calls God the light for very specific reasons. He's, he's speaking about his glory. He's speaking about God's radiance, his beauty, and his wonderful. Scripture talks about this God in the heavens who dwells in unapproachable light. That's crazy. And so our minds go to what we know best, like the closest reference, which is something like the sun, until we remember that God breathed out the sun. Start thinking about unapproachable light, and it kind of puts that into context, but it begs the question, how can you know that? 
You can know about it. You could see the effects of it. But how do you know a God who dwells in unapproachable light? John calls God the light because he is the ultimate illuminator, which sounds awesome, but is terrifying. God is radiant and he illuminates the darkness. And when he illuminates the darkness, it reveals all of our flaws and all of our impurities. That's why we raise our hands and say, God, I want to know you more. I want to know you more. And then God's like, right on, man. This is great. And he starts cleansing us and pulling us closer and it hurts. And we're like, ow, God, I wanted to be closer to you, but this hurts. And God's like, there's so much in you I got to pull out of you so I can get closer to you. Unapproachable light, completely, utterly, holy, revealing flaws and impurity. There is nothing secret from God. This God who sees all, this God who knows all. The late theologian Lewis Chafer said it this way, quote, secret sin on earth is open scandal in heaven. That's not a very fun thought. I mean, for you, I'm, I'm perfect, but for some of us in here. <laughs> secret sin on earth is open scandal in heaven. Our sins are right there in front of God. It's not like he doesn't see them. It's not like he doesn't know them. God is light. And in light, in God, there is no darkness at all, as 1 John tells us. There's no darkness at all. You must realize, church, we have to realize this, that darkness does not just stand in contrast to light. It stands in utter hostility to light. Darkness does not just stand in contrast to light. It stands in utter hostility to light. And when we begin to get a biblical view of God as light and a biblical worldview of the world as darkness, we begin to see the epic battle that is taking place between a dark, depraved world that hates its creator. Have you thought about the world that way? We have this way of thinking like things are internally good. No, the world and everything in it is darkness and it utterly hates and is outright defiant and hostile to its creator. Sin hates God. Why? Because light diffuses darkness. That's why God and sin cannot dwell in the same place. That's why it says that darkness has no place within God. So, so back to this question, how can we know God? If, if the world is darkness and if we're of and from the world, and scripture tells us that we're born sinners, how can we who are of the darkness, children of darkness, know this light? How can we have fellowship with this God, if we can't even wrap our minds around the size of distant stars and, and planets, if we can't even categorize light correctly, how are we to know the creator of it? How can we know the God that spoke these stars and planets into existence? Because for all the size and, and measurements of all the things that we know, the creator of these things has to be infinitely larger. Are you with me? Do you agree? He spoke these things into if he spoke light into existence. This, this God, this ultimate being, must be infinitely larger. Here's the truth, and it's a hard truth, but the fact of the matter is, on our own, we cannot know God. On your own, you cannot know God. And this gets back to our morality because something inside of us says, Well, well, maybe if I worked harder, no. Maybe if I could go back in time and reverse some of the things. No. 
Maybe if I just gave more money, no. Maybe if I just didn't cuss, no. Maybe if I gave this up, no. Maybe if I went here, no. Maybe if I joined it, no. No, 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 no. Nothing that you can do will draw you closer to God. Darkness can have no fellowship with light. It is, an impos- it is impossible on our own to know God, much less have fellowship with him. But, but this is what 1 John tells us. Verse 1, chapter 1, verse 3. That fellowship is indeed what we are to have with God, the Father, this massive being. Now, let me Greek out on you for a minute. Okay, hold on. Let me just Greek out on you. Um, the word fellowship in this context is the word koinonia. Can you just turn to your neighbor and say koinonia? Lots of ways to say it. That's how I'm choosing to say it today. And what this word means is togetherness. When it says we have fellowship with God the Father, it means togetherness. And there's a hint to the life of, of a community, like a communal living. So some of you hippies will like that, right? So there's like this communal living type, um, but there is bathing that takes place in the communal living. Sometimes we think about that and people smell. Anyway, it doesn't talk about that. I'm just saying, in the Greek, there's this idea of togetherness, of, of oneness, where two opposites come together and dwell with each other, you and God, in fellowship. You and God in Koinonia, in community. Here's the question. How can darkness have fellowship with light? How can darkness have Koinonia, have, have fellowship with the light? How is that gulf between man and God to be bridged? There is only one answer. And here's why the Gnostics did not know God. Here is the only answer that exists. It's not the principles of Jesus. It is the literal man, Jesus Christ. How do you know God? The literal belief in the literal Son of God. Not just the teachings of Jesus, not just the principles of Jesus, not just putting those principles and applying them to your life and writing them on your Facebook wall. It is the belief and the following of the literal man, Jesus Christ. Jesus says it himself. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through my teachings. He didn't say that. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to me except through lots of money. Come on. What's he say? No one gets to the Father except through me. Me. Now we can over-spiritualize that and think, well, metaphorically, Jesus was saying me as in I am. No. Jesus, the human, stood there with clothes on and used a hand that was connected to a body filled with blood and bone and veins and skin and said, nobody gets to the Father except through me. Jesus. Jesus. See why it's important to believe in the literal incarnation of God, that Jesus Christ was who he said he was? See why it's so important? The only way to God. You want to have fellowship with God, you must know Jesus. Fellowship with Jesus is fellowship with God. I wonder how many of us have maybe followed the principles and the teachings of Jesus, but we don't know the man Jesus Christ. 
We're not disciples of Jesus. We wonder, why is there no saving power in my life? Why, why, what is this that's missing in my life? It's because you know all there is to know, but you don't know the main thing there is. You don't know Jesus. I don't know how else to say that. That is my biggest fear, that we show up on a Sunday morning, that we get plugged into sea life groups, that we lift our hands in worship, and we know all the words, and we know all the scripture, and we get all the gold stars from the time we're in kindergarten and now, but we don't know Jesus. Do you know Jesus? If you know Jesus, there should be passion. There should be desire for his word. There should be a hunger to tell others about him. He said, I'm not really passionate about telling people about Jesus. Then you don't know Jesus. I don't know how else to say it. There are many places that you could go and we could throw up a wise saying from Jesus and treat him like Gandhi and walk home and act like we're changed. But the fact of the matter is words won't change you. Only a person named Jesus will. That's it. And it's only until you begin to follow after him will his saving power change and shape and redefine you and your destiny. I will say this. This is why Sea Life groups for us at our church that's just so important, this whole koinonia idea. It's just, it's just so important, doing life together, being in fellowship with one another, having this intimacy. Now, oftentimes when we think about, when we think about um, fellowship, it's kind of funny because I think churches have overused and undersold the word fellowship. Can I get an amen? Like how many times have we gotten a flyer that said, come out to this and there's going to be food, fun, and fellowship. Or they say it like this, there's going to be fellowship, food, and fun. Or they kind of mix it up and say, there's going to be fun, fellowship, and food. I mean, it's just, how many times can we say that? No, 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 listen, fun and food and fellowship. Fellowship is a whole thing different. Like, like it's intimacy. Fellowship takes time to develop. Fellowship is, is a commitment. You understand that? We find that people who don't get plugged into small groups in our church, they often just kind of fade away. Not that they're mad, not that they're upset, not that something happened. It's just that something didn't connect with them. It's because we as Christians are made to live in koinonia. We're made to live in, in community, not with just our God, but with each other. Listen, that's why we say all the time that Sunday morning, Sunday is just the start. This is not all there is. This is just the tip of the iceberg. So if you're just getting this, then you're missing out on this. God calls us to so much more. Thank you for listening to this message from our series, The Unknowable God at Covenant Church. We hope you've been impacted by what you've heard today. Visit us online at covenantchurch.us for more information and to listen to more impactful sermon audios just like this.